Okay, so this morning we're going to talk about just like us. And over the years, I've read articles and seen news stories that try to convince us that the celebrities of our time are just like us. And what they do is they show a photograph of some actor or singer or sports figure who's actually doing his own grocery shopping. And the, they make this mythological statement that these people are just like us. You see, George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, is just like us. Is he really? Is he? Well, <clears throat> George Lucas, whose net worth is just shy of about a gazillion dollars, uh, owns his own fire trucks and employs 14 full-time firefighters for his residence. Just like us. Another perfect example of a celebrity, in fact, an athlete who's just like us, would be Mike Tyson, former heavyweight boxing champion, who certainly had his share of serious problems, which makes him a little easier to be just like us, but not really because his problems aren't anything like we've had. Uh, but to show you that Big Mike is just like us, he spent $2.2 million on a 24-carat solid gold bathtub for his Ohio mansion just like us. And just one more perfect example would be the singing star Rihanna. Apparently her hair is something that she's quite concerned about and something her fans love about her. So in order to keep her locks in tip-top shape, she spent over $1.1 million on her hairdresser and hair products so that she could be just like us. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at a single verse that when you really consider how to apply it, when we absorb the depth of what James is telling us, could absolutely be life-changing, not just for us individually, but for as, us as a church. Uh, life-changing. So what is it that James could have said, James, the half-brother of Jesus, that would make an impact like that on our lives. And we find it in James 5.17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would rain, that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. The Brian Study Bible makes that first claim, Elijah was a man just like us. So that's what James is saying. Elijah was a man just like us. Only he meant it. Not like those pictures I showed at the beginning. And this commonality that we share with Elijah is often hard for us to believe when we read about his remarkable life. The dramatic events that are the story of Elijah's life are truly supernatural, aren't they? But the mighty acts of God in Elijah's life were not due to Elijah's goodness and power and righteousness, but instead, Elijah's life story is due solely to God's greatness and glory and might. 
Now, you remember Elijah. He's, he's one of the biggies of the Old Testament. The prophet who stood before wicked king Ahab and looked him straight in the eyeball and said, Ahab, if you don't straighten up, the heavens are going to close up. There's not going to be any more rain. Someone once described Elijah as the blood and guts prophet, the guy who stood up to anything that was unrighteous. And you remember, Elijah was the one that climbed to the top of Mount Carmel for a call down fire from heaven showdown with the prophets of Baal. And he said to the people of Israel, who are you going to worship, Baal or Jehovah? Let's settle it once and for all right here. Elijah, he's the same guy that uh, when his life's work was over, he didn't just die. And you think about it, when his life was over, uh, God sent a whirlwind in a chariot and took him up to heaven. And when Jesus was on earth, Elijah and Moses are the ones that God had meet with Jesus at the uh, Mount of Transfiguration. This is Elijah, who was just like us. Listen to the words of the prophet Malachi. He said, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Elijah's one of the stars. When John the Baptist started preaching, the crowd said, Elijah has come back. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And the crowd said, he's crying for Elijah to come. To this day, in every Orthodox Jewish home at Passover, They put the chairs around the table and they set all the emblems of Passover up and there's always one empty chair for Elijah because they're waiting for Elijah to come. Elijah, the Old Testament prophet of God, was a very special person, a superstar. And yet, this amazing statement by James in James 5.17 Elijah was a man just like us. Should give us incredible hope. Incredible drive. So what does James mean when he says this? To be honest with you, I'm having a little bit of trouble imagining Elijah right here in Las Lunas in 2021, driving up and down Main Street and getting a Big Mac at McDonald's. Uh, It is hard to imagine. Because he was so big, his story is so telling. Yet James says he was just like us. If James had said Peter was just like us, I wouldn't have much trouble with that. Because Peter was always sticking his foot in his mouth and saying the wrong thing and generally goofing up and making mistakes. So I could see if if James had said Peter was a man just like us, I'd say, yeah, poor Peter. He was. Or if James had said David was just like us. I could have said, well, I can kind of see that too. David writes in his Psalms of his frustration, searching for God's will, wondering who he can trust. David sinned. He had trouble with his kids. 
No problem believing David was a man like us. But James doesn't mention them. He says Elijah was a man just like us. And the rest of the passage tells us the story that Elijah earnestly prayed that it would not rain, and God held the rain back for three and a half years. And then he prayed it would rain, and it did. Elijah did extraordinary things in God's name with God's power. But James's message is that Elijah was a very ordinary person, like us. And God can take ordinary people and accomplish incredible things, miraculous things. We see it all the time in the physical realm. I was reflecting back a couple of weeks ago on, on this church body and you know the fact that it started in a living room and, and then we, just with the people that were there in that living room, built a building and then, and then we grew to outgrow that building and, and we turned a carpenter's shop into a church. Just ordinary people doing amazing things in the physical realm. And over the years, he's taken more ordinary people and changed the interior and exterior of this facility to where I think it's a pretty incredible place. But that's just in the physical realm. Extraordinary things were done. That's just stuff. What about the spiritual realm? What could these ordinary people accomplish in the spiritual realm? If we were genuine and committed to God's plan and God's agenda, what could be accomplished? Well, if we take a close look at Elijah's life, I think we can understand something that might hit home. And the first thing we see when we look at Elijah's life is that a man of God never, ever compromises his faith. Not for anything. Elijah believed with all of his heart that Jehovah is God and there is no other God. And that brought him into direct conflict with King Ahab. And I think we all remember King Ahab pretty well. Well, maybe we remember his wife Jezebel a little better. Uh, Ahab was an evil king, but most of his problems started with his wife. You see, Ahab believed that Jehovah was God. The problem is that he married a woman that believed that Baal was God. And Ahab was a politician who didn't want to offend anybody, especially his wife Jezebel. Therefore, he decided that... Actually, let me, let me pause here and tell you a story about not offending your wife. Back in the very early days of occupying this building... Uh, my son Matt and his wife Stacy and their kids were here painting those pictures on what was the cry room back then. And <clears throat> their kids were here just kind of goofing around. And I remember listening to Greg talking to Gavin. And Gavin was just four or five years old back then. And I don't know if Greg remembers this conversation at all. But uh, Gavin had just gotten a haircut that was like a, all you can cut the hair off and left about a quarter of an inch on his head. 
And uh, the conversation went something like this, as I recall it. Greg said to Gavin, he said, boy, I wish I could get a haircut like yours. And Gavin, being ever so practical, said, well, just get one. <laughs> Greg said, well, you know, after you get married, uh, there's some things you, you got to be careful about. And my wife wouldn't like a haircut like that. And Gavin replied, then get a new wife. <laughs> Ever practical. Well, neither Greg nor... Greg, do you remember that conversation? <laughs> neither Greg nor Ahab was like that. Ahab didn't want to offend Jezebel, and Greg obviously didn't want to offend Liz. Therefore, he decided if worshiping one god was good, then worshiping two gods is even better. So he built altars to Jehovah and to Baal. And into his palace he brought priests of Jehovah and priests of Baal. And he told the people, you can worship whichever god you want to, or you can choose to worship both of them if you want to. But Elijah confronted Ahab. He confronted his idolatry face to face. And he was a constant source of irritation for Ahab. Because every time Elijah's name was mentioned, it meant Jehovah is God. So every time Elijah's name was even said, it said, it made the proclamation, Jehovah is God. Elijah had seen the Israelites worship Baal one day and worship Jehovah the next. They couldn't make up their minds. And finally he calls for a, this climactic contest on top of Mount Carmel. And he utters these words. He says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? If Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And what Elijah was saying is you can't serve Jehovah and Baal. Make up your mind which one you're going to worship. He wasn't going to compromise. Well, you already know the rest of the story. The prophets of Baal built an altar and called on Baal to send down fire from heaven. And they shouted and they screamed until they were hoarse and they tore their clothing and nothing happened. Cut themselves, nothing happened. Screamed, nothing happened. Finally, when they had completely failed, Elijah said, now it's my turn. It was time to prove once and for all who was really God. And that's the proclamation of the life of Elijah. Jehovah is God, and he never altered that at all. 1 Kings 18.30, we read the words, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. And they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. <clears throat> he took these old stones that had been neglected, that were once a glorious altar, and he lovingly took those 12 stones and rebuilt the altar of God. So is there a message there for today's church? Elijah said, I will not be contaminated by my surroundings. I will keep my life pure, my testimony untarnished. I will keep on standing up for the fact that God is who he says he is and there is no other God no matter what's going on around me. 
Do we need to hear that today? I think we do. You see, in a world like ours, they will tolerate us being Christians as long as we don't get too serious about it. It's perfectly acceptable to the world for us to believe that Jesus is the Christ and as long as we conform to the world's standards and values and attitudes. Several years ago, there appeared in the Wall Street Journal an article about a woman who called herself Reverend Terry and her new religion. She called it the new Christianity. And here's some of the things she taught. She said, and I quote, happiness is limitless and people don't need to change for the better, but simply to realize they're already perfect. Yeah, I run across those people every day, those already perfect people. She doesn't believe in sin or hell. Hell, according to her, is what some of us build for ourselves right here on earth. The article describes her audience as young, suntanned, driving Mercedes-Benz and sports cars. She teaches prosperity and happiness and says you should never feel guilty for anything that you do, but rejoice in your own perfection. Yeah, we don't want to feel guilty about what we do. We certainly don't. And her conclusion is that since there isn't any such thing as sin, there's no need for Jesus Christ or no room for him in our lives because you don't need sin forgiven. <clears throat> By the way, she's been married four times and has quit her ministry and now lives in luxury in Mount Shasta, California. And she's not the only one. There have been these types of, of false teachers forever. Paul warned about them even. Because people are always desperate to package Jesus in a manner that is not offensive, in a manner that feels good. But Jesus' whole message was offensive to the crowds that he taught because it was radical. And he never compromised. Now we market the church on Madison Avenue saying that we have products to offer that are better than the products offered down at the church down the, down the street. We advertise them on TV and we, we tell everybody to come over here and invest in our particular kingdom. We'll promise you bigger and better blessings than anybody else. And that's compromise. And somehow it all sounds like the 18th chapter of 1 Kings where they compromised and diluted the worship of God to a place where they were no longer worshiping the God of heaven. They were no longer paying any attention to God's word or God's will. But Elijah's message for us today is separate yourselves from the world. Separate from the world's values. Don't isolate yourself. Separate yourself. We can't become so legalistic that we're judgmental about everybody. We can't go around saying we have all the truth and nobody else has it and we're the only ones going to heaven. But at the same time, we must never be contaminated by the world's teachings. Romans 12, 1 and 2 really hits the point. And we've heard it so often that I'm not sure we listen to it anymore. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's two words in there that need to be underlined. Conform and transform. And when you go through scripture and read all about the people who walk through the pages of scripture that we read about, they're all divided into two groups. Those who conformed and those who transformed. Ananias and Sapphira, they conformed. They went to church. They said their, their prayers. They joined the life of the church. They were respected in the church. And then they went and sold their land, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. Judas conformed. He had the privilege of listening to the truth from Jesus Christ's lips. But he conformed and sold out to the world. Joseph in the Old Testament, he didn't conform. He was sold into slavery. He found himself tempted by Potiphar's wife, but he didn't conform. And in time, he transformed the whole world in which he lived. Daniel also didn't conform. He wouldn't conform to the pleasures of the palace. He wouldn't bow down to their golden idols. He kept on believing and praying, and he transformed the world that was around him. The same is true of Peter and James and John and all the other giants who followed God. The pressures were there, but they wouldn't conform. And finally, they turned the world upside down or right side up. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. You will end up loving one and hating the other. And there's where it is today in our society. There are other altars and other gods beckoning for our attention and our worship. Society says, hey, it's, it's all right. You can still go to church. You can still be a respectable Christian. Just go ahead and serve the other gods too. Well, they may not be idols as we think of in the Old Testament, you know, a golden calf. But they are golden calves nonetheless. They're called power and money and pleasure and material goods. And they become gods in our culture. But from Elijah comes the message, don't conform, be transformed. I believe it was one of the secrets of God taking an ordinary person, just like us, and performing extraordinary deeds. There's a lot of ordinary people in the world, and I'm glad to be among them today, that God can use in extraordinary ways. We have the potential, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to go way beyond ordinary in our impact on spiritual lives today. But it's up to us to commit ourselves to being holy, being separate. But in today's world, separate isn't enough. There has to be an overwhelming drive in our lives to not just be separate, 
but to be separate for a reason. And the reason that God has set before us is our mission as believers. To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was reminded a couple of weeks ago by a dear brother in Christ that my message focusing on verses like Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But those messages show us clearly what we're supposed to look like. But if we aren't talking our walk, we aren't taking our walk to the next step, if we're not telling the world who Jesus Christ is, then we're falling short. And he was right. There's a lot of nice people in the world that don't know Jesus Christ. We have to do more than be Christian. We have to tell people about Jesus Christ with our lips, not just our lives. Unless we're being vocal about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're missing the mark. Remember, Elijah was a man just like us. And he did absolutely incredible things. And those incredible things were done in the spiritual realm. And that's where our focus needs to be today. We need to be about our Father's business, which certainly takes in caring for the needy and being a light and feeding the hungry. But God is incredibly concerned about the souls of people. That should be our concern as well. That's where God can use us best in the spiritual realm. I pray that he uses us this week. Let's pray.